We all like to think that the butterfly emerges from the cocoon in like one fell swoop. The process of breaking out of the cocoon, it's not comfortable, it doesn't feel good. It's not one beautiful fell swoop, but that's where that evolution and that growth and that change happens. Welcome back to Let It Out. This week's episode was recorded when I was still in New York. It's with a photographer and super cool woman, Anastasia Garcia. We met when we were both speaking on a panel in New York, and we speak about dating, being alone versus being around others, divorce, body image, inner child work, sexlessness, looking at the big picture, not being in judgment of your own feelings, how to feel fully. We talk about low self-worth and photography and sex and Reiki, and it's just a winding conversation that goes in so many different directions. I really loved Anastasia, and I think you'll love this episode too. I'm coming to you from Australia, staying with my friend Erin. It's been a really cool week. I've been off of social media and loving that. I hope you guys had a great Valentine's Day. I know I mentioned last week on the podcast, but if you listen to my year in review episode from last year, you know, we talked a lot about breakups and tenderheartedness in that episode. And if you or someone you know wants to check out our Soothe Kit zine, it's available for you. That link is in the show notes and more on that there. I love you. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy this episode and I'll talk to you at the end. I get to tell you guys about a new sponsor of today's episode. It's a meal kit company called Every Plate. Stay with me. I know there are a plethora of meal kits out there, but this one is the most economical of all of them. And what I really love about them, which is very important to me, is that all of their boxes and separators are all 100% recyclable. And think of it this way, it's so economical that one meal with every plate is about the same price as one cup of coffee. Every plate dinners are this cheaper alternative to takeout or delivery for sure and definitely going out to dinner and the recipes all come together in about 30 minutes and you know that's definitely faster than going to the grocery store figuring out what you want to make googling recipes for hours maybe that's just me because I'm so indecisive but anyway it's less time deciding what to cook and that means more time spent enjoying good food every plate has these easy to follow recipe cards with the ingredients that get shipped right to you but what I did I got to try it and Amanda got to try it you can keep these recipe cards and make the ones you really loved again. So you get to choose what comes with you. You can cancel it at any time. Check to make sure your zip code is included to their shipping area, but they're expanding their shipping zones all the time. So it probably is. Again, meal kits are so well known now, but what sets every plate apart is that even at the regular price, every plate is about 58% cheaper than other major meal kits out there, which I think is really cool because when you're staying in, you want to save money. 
you know, because when you go out to dinner, that's more of an experience and and that, you know, might cost money. But you guys don't even have to pay the regular price because you're a let it out listener. So you can get three weeks of every plate meals for only $2.99 per meal by going to everyplate.com. That's everyplate.com and entering the code let it out three. Again, get three weeks of every plate meals for only $2.99 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code let it out three. That's up to a $72 savings and that's about 40% off three boxes of meals. Enjoy, get cooking. Let me know what you make. I really want to know and see and feel free to invite me over for dinner. Honestly, wherever you live, I might come. Thank you so much for doing this. Like I said to you before we started recording, I I felt so connected to you at this panel and I walked I walked into like the backstage or back room where we were the before. The green room, so to speak. <laughs> that yeah. wasn't green. But. Yeah. And I got there and I was like, maybe you noticed. I was like, why am I here? Everybody here is like so cool and great and has a blue check by their name. And I'm I don't like. I have a blue check, but you also don't? you're cool and great. No, I don't. Oh. How do we get those blue checks, that status symbol? We need, <laughs> we need to get the blue check. And now you can even like submit your driver's license. And oh, I did really? that and I still didn't get the blue huh. check. I'm like, this is fucking rude, Instagram. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> well, either way. 2020 I, goals? Yeah, sure. Um, and also like, who cares? That's like a whole nother <laughs> conversation of like Instagram. Anyway, I felt like as soon as we just like sat back there and started chatting instantly. I was like, Oh, we're all just people. And everyone here is really nice. And we had this like very cozy panel and I just liked you right away. And I'm, I'm so happy that I'm here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And I'm also flattered. So thank you. In your very cozy apartment. Let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? What were you like as a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up? These are great questions. So I actually, I, people are always like, where are you from? And I actually never know how to answer that because I was raised in a military family. Mm -hmm. So like my parents are New Yorkers. Well, my mom's from Puerto Rico. She came to New York as a child and I was born here, but I left when I was eight months old and I moved to Germany where I lived for the first eight years of my life, but I'm not from Germany, you know, and then we bounced around. We lived in Japan for three years and North Dakota and I lived in Colorado. I lived in Florida for six years and which is where I did my last two years of high school and four years of college. And then, you know, as, as an adult, I've been bouncing around. So I have no idea where I grew up really or where, I, where I'm from because it's just like everywhere. What was I like as a kid? I guess it depends on what stage maybe. I, I've always been kind of like a little sassy, a little bossy. Do you have siblings? No, I'm an only child. Me too. Yes. No wonder. Yes. Um, That's why we like, get along. We yeah. understand each other. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so interesting. Do you feel like that's a defining characteristic in your personality, being an only child? Yeah. How but so? In, in good ways. Like, I, I feel like I'm okay being alone because especially living as, like, in a military family, there was always a lot of travel. There was always a lot of, like, moving from place to place and having to start over. And I think being an only child, like, really put me at peace with solitude. Like, it really gave me the tools to, like, learn how to like self-soothe and entertain myself and take care of myself. You know what I mean? And my, I have my friends who like have a lot of siblings, they have issues like with alone time or they, Mm -hmm. you know, like they get restless when they're not like around people, not all of them, obviously, but it's definitely something I've heard more than four times. And so, yeah, I, 
And then on the flip side of that, I also like crave solitude sometimes mm-hmm. because I like, I was so used to having that time that like yeah. when I am around people too much, I'm kind of like, can you like leave so I can like read a book by myself? Love you. Bye. Yeah. I, I have that to a certain extent. Like I, I used to feel that way more that I was good at alone time. And I definitely still feel like when I'm around people a lot, I instantly crave, not instantly, but eventually crave being alone. Yeah. And do you know your Myers-Briggs? No. So so I'm an ENFP, which apparently is like the least extroverted of the extroverts, meaning that you need like basically equal time alone and equal time around people, which I really identify with of like, if I'm alone too much, I start to feel anxious and lonely and uncomfortable. Same. But if I'm around people too much, I crave being alone. So it's like- I, I feel actually that's probably my, it's the same. Also, yeah. I need to look this up because for some reason, every man on Tinder huh. knows this and they all put it on their profiles. And I don't know what any of them mean. So apparently I need to get caught up. Yeah, why not? I, I think it's like, I love all of that sort of thing, like astrology and human I design. I love astrology. And like- information about yourself, you know, and like not to be like, it won't always be accurate, but if you identify with it, cool, you know? Yeah. That's interesting what you were talking about, about being an only child. Cause I think I used to feel that way a lot when I was a kid. And I think during periods of my life, when I have been around people and I've had a structured job or when I've like needed to be around people or been forced to be around people a lot, I've been like, Oh, I'm good on my own. I feel great. But this year was just like a plethora of change and alone time that I wasn't, I became a freelancer for mm-hmm. the first time and I had my romantic relationship end. And so suddenly I was alone a lot. And I think it, like working alone. It didn't feel and as living voluntary. alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, um, I've, I've needed to like warm up with being with myself and it's being, loneliness is like, rough yeah <laughs> i think that's the that's there's the the big difference there is like the vol- feeling feeling like you're in control of the alone time right. right because it's one thing when you're like okay i'm not leaving my apartment this weekend because i need to like recover but then it's another when relationships leave your life that maybe you weren't ready for or are just like really hard i went through a separation um this time last year so this whole year has been about um learning how to be alone in a voluntary way again, you know, yeah. because I was so used to like living with someone. And when I, when our, my marriage first ended, like, even though for most of my life, I've been so comfortable being alone, I had a hard time being in this apartment by myself. Like I literally would go, I would like work. I would have, I would be on a, like a 10 to 12 hour shoot. Then I would do whatever I possibly could to like I would meet friends for dinner and then meet a different friends for drinks after dinner yeah. so that I would just come home exhausted enough to go straight to sleep so that I didn't have to be in my apartment alone. I did this for months yeah. because, you know, and it's the thing, it's like that, it's not, it wasn't like my marriage separating, my marriage ending wasn't necessarily like a choice that I made. It was, but it wasn't something I was, I don't know. It's just different than me being like, I'm not going to go out this weekend because I want to recover. You know, it's just, right. yeah, the loneliness is, Loneliness and alone time, they feel very different. That's a really good distinction. And I relate to what you said deeply about filling your time. I've been thinking a lot about this. I was just writing about this today of like, I think my entire year has been a way for me to, you know, when you're filling your time and you're 
working all day and going out to dinner and going out to drinks after dinner and you're never not even home alone but you're never like alone with yourself to feel your own feelings and to be with your thoughts yeah it's a great way to distract yourself that's exactly what it is it's distraction so what did you so you're not doing this anymore you're able to be with yourself now um (laughs) i've gotten better i actually i'm in a much better place now than i was at the beginning of the year i've also been in therapy all year um my therapist is a phenomenal woman who's really helped me Mm -hmm. and also really helped me um to not be in judgment of myself for needing to distract yeah you know what i mean um yeah, we can't like sit with our feelings all the time. That's unhealthy yeah. too, I think, to like sit in your shit. Yep. And it's funny because I had this moment in July and August where like, you know, I'm also a freelancer. So I understand that whole thing of like working with people all the time. And then suddenly like you're working alone and right. you're not leaving your house for days because you're home office. Unstructured time. So unstructured. Um, but it's funny. I had a bunch of downtime in July and August because work had kind of slowed. And I like literally had like a breakdown and I didn't even understand why. Like I was like, nothing happened. Like what's going on? Why am I feeling this way? And it was because it was the first time all year that I stopped because Mm. work was slow and people were traveling. Most of my friends weren't in town. And when I finally stopped, like it all caught up with me and it, it caught up with me for like over a month of just like, crying and being like, what is going on? And feeling all that feelings because I was distracting myself. You know, I wasn't like allowing myself to really feel it. And then when I stopped and it all hit, it was a pretty intense experience. So you stopped, allowed yourself to feel it. And then were you able to move through it? Because that's really where I am now. Like, I was just saying this to a friend last night. I was having like a really, really rough night. I've had like a rough couple of days because I was gone for like two two weeks traveling and I was in California and Denver and Austin and I was around friends and family and it was great because I didn't have to be with myself and I didn't have to feel my feelings and New York as a whole usually is really good for that where I'm like and, and I think just what we do and the types of personalities that we are of maybe it's our only childness or being a creative person or just honestly this city it's pretty easy I have so many friends that I can easily have a dinner every single night Yep, and a coffee day and this and that yep. most of the time. And so, and even the summer I went on this long trip. I went to Europe for a month and like visited people and was with friends. And it was like, you know, the socially accepted way when you're not in a romantic relationship to spend uninterrupted time with people is to like travel and visit them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was like essentially doing that and I kept distracting myself. And then this week when I got back from all of that, I had, I of course made sure I had plans every night and like until (laughs) the end of the year, like basically I have no nights free. But then something crazy happened in the last two days, like two people canceled plans and I ended up like having to we were supposed to record this on thursday and Mm -hmm. i was like at least i'm seeing you so i'll Mm -hmm. see another human being and like that didn't happen Mm -hmm. and like no this was good though Mm -hmm. because then for like two days i had to like be with myself unexpectedly and i was like all right i can either this can go two ways i can like distract myself i know how to do that i know how to like numb Mm -hmm. and watch tv you're make another plan or whatever or Mm -hmm. i can just like fucking sit in this Mm -hmm. 
And I kind of did. I like tried to, I wrote a little bit, I felt it. I listened to that dumb, stupid Spotify, your year playlist that they make for you. That felt so emotional, but I did it. Yeah. And then I called a friend and like laughed and I felt like I had kind of moved through it. And I, what I said to her was the whole reason I brought this up was that like, I really think that it's progress to, it's not going to feel perfect, but to be like, okay, this is uncomfortable, but feeling my feelings isn't going to kill me. And for me, my depression is like, when I get so low, I forget I'll ever be high. And that's like the hopelessness, but to try to remember that like, this won't last forever. Has that been your experience? Yeah. I mean, definitely when I'm in it, I am so in it that I don't, I don't even know. I, there are times where like I'm experiencing something and I can like see the path out. Like I'm like, okay, if I do this and then I do that, it'll lead me out of this. But when I'm like in those dark places, I can't even see the path. And I will say like, that's where therapy has been very helpful for me because my, you know, my therapist, I can even have like a FaceTime session with her. And so there's definitely been times where I'm like, Hey, are you available? I need a FaceTime session today, you know, and, and having someone there to like, just hold the space and kind of be able to express that. And it's also really, I feel like we're so in judgment of our own feelings. You know what I mean? Like we just want to like feel good all the time. And like we are, you know, when we're feeling things, we're like, oh, why can't I just get over this? Or why am I feeling this? And it's just like, because you're a human and, and that's what emotion, that's the range of emotion we have to experience, you know? And for me, when I really sat, and really like let myself break down. I a learned how to make the path, like how to find the path out. And for me, that was a lot of self care. And I know that that's kind of like a buzzy word that we're like hearing a lot lately. But self care was really different for me this year, especially in those like really dark moments. Sometimes self care was just like letting myself ugly cry and scream. And even if I, you know, instead of like stopping myself from crying, like really leaning into it, really letting it out, you know, there were so many times where like I was sitting on the floor of my shower with the candles lit and with my meditative music playing and with my crystals, but just like sobbing, you know, and like setting up the space that was loving, but still allowing myself to have that breakdown and to not be in judgment of that, you know, and to really nurture myself in that way, you know, because that's another thing. My therapist and I have been doing a lot of like inner child work and like learning how to like kind of figure out when you're being triggered in that regard versus like your adult self. And I think about like young Anastasia, you know, and young, I would never look at her and be like, stop crying. I'd be like, cry. It's okay. I know this is hard. I know this sucks. So like really learning how to talk to myself that way and to like let myself feel those things and to not be in judgment of them, that was a huge learning this year. And and that's how I got out of it, you know, like just by moving through it and not trying to, I'm not going to say that I don't still distract, you know, like right. I do, but I'm, I've gotten so much better at identifying when there's an underlying issue that needs to be expressed and then allowing myself to do it without judgment. I think it's making that striking a balance between coping and solving, you know, like coping is going out with friends, watching TV. There's a plethora of ways to cope and I've done all of them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with those. I think that's like to, 
feel all the spectrum of human emotion feelings is like too much. All like that's why we have coping mechanisms and they're great. But if we just do that, I think we can't move through anything. And so to feel in these really cozy, productive ways of being in therapy and and not even just being in therapy, because that was another thing for me where it was like, I was only letting myself feel when I was in a session with my therapist or I was on the phone to, with a best friend or basically that was it. Like I had to be with someone else. I wasn't allowing myself to like feel being alone because mm. then I was like, oh, that's, that's really scary. That's mm-hmm. like. I can understand why. Yeah. Why that feels very scary. Yeah. But I think that's like where the, that's where the work from therapy comes in. That's where like all of, you need to have a balance between both, I think. Yeah. I, you know, I certainly did a fair amount of distracting this year, but at the same time, like going out with my friends and and having those dinners and those coffees and those drinks and having those people there, it's kind of the only way I like feel like I survived it. You know what I mean? And so it's like, was I in balance? Maybe not. Was it part of my healing journey? Yeah, absolutely. And that's okay to your point, you know? I think like not only is it okay, I think it's necessary. Like you said, I don't think that I could definitely would not have survived this year without. And I don't even know if I want to call it distracting because I think you're right. I think it is part of it. I think it's a very important part of it. And it's not like during those dinners and during those, you know, hangs with people, sometimes we were laughing and just like discussing the world. But other times, like I was processing, I was feeling, I mm-hmm. was talking and about talking it, I was it out. crying it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's just as productive as doing it alone, you know? Yes. I want to go back to an article that you wrote this year that we were chatting mm-hmm. about that you wrote for Glamour that I read and you're an amazing writer. And this this article was called Fat Women Have Great Sex Too. And it was so wonderful. Can you talk about writing that, the process? And then you mentioned a little bit about the reaction to it. And I really want to hear about that and how that affected you. Yeah. As I said, I I separated from a marriage this time last year. How long were you together? Uh, Four and a half years. And the last two years of my marriage were sexless. We, you know, we lost our sexual connection and we could never figure out how to get it back. And, you know, I'm a plus size woman. So there's a whole other like realm to unpack there when it comes to like sexuality and being fat and and feeling like people don't want to have sex with you because your body looks a certain way. And I think all people feel that way. For sure. But, but yes, it's, it's like hyper, hyper crazy for fat women because it's like, Tell me like a rom-com where there's a fat woman as like the romantic interest. Now they made them this year with Rebel Wilson, you know, like just this year, you know? And so it's just like, and even then it's like one or two and it, you know, it, you never see fat women portrayed as being desirable, as being like the heroine, as being the sexy, beautiful girl, you know? And so. Which affects, I, I talk about this all the time. Did you ever see the documentary, She's All Fat? No, that sounds like it. What, what's it about? I'm it, already irritated. What's it about? <laughs> I think that's what it's called. I'm not even, that could be the wrong name. Anyway, well, it was, I don't know if the name is, the name might be problematic, but the the documentary itself was really good mm-hmm. and really like discussed and privileged and discussed why, how this affects all of us and internalized mm-hmm. fat phobia that people have mm-hmm. and talking about 
the one thing that really stuck with me from it was that they talked about how the only fat character that I remember seeing growing up was portrayed in the media was Ursula, who mm-hmm. was evil. Right. And so we we start to have these connections in our mind that, you know, my background is heavy in the eating disorder mm-hmm. world. So these sorts of things are so top of mind to me and body image and connection and like a hundred percent. Everybody's experience is so unique and different, but that piece of what we see, not seeing yourself talk about this from many angles, race and gender and mm-hmm. all of the things, but especially what exactly what you were saying, like not seeing ourselves portrayed in the media is so problematic. Mm-hmm. I started in a documentary called Straight Curve and it basically is discusses the exact same thing. It's a fantastic film directed by this woman named Jenny McQuill. And it talks about the effect that media has had on us. You should absolutely watch it. It's available on Hulu and Amazon and iTunes. It just talks about like the collective effect that has occurred with women when and men when you don't see yourself represented and when it talks about the health, it talks about the mental health. It's, it's a fantastic documentary. I'm not going to get too far into it, but I highly recommend watching it, not because of my involvement, but because I think it's yeah. a very important piece of film. But to go back to the article, I... So when my marriage ended, and even in the, in the last few months of it, because I started going to therapy before it ended, I kind of started to realize, like, I, I really blamed, not maybe not as outwardly as I realize now, but I, I was really internalizing the lack of sex as being my fault. You know, like, oh, you know, I had gained a little bit of weight, not a tremendous, but I had gained weight in the marriage. And I was, you know, there was a big part of me that was holding myself accountable for the loss of sex. And even before I met my husband, my dating life always felt really limited since middle school. You know, I would watch my like hot, thin friends, like all these boys like them and they were having all these romantic experiences and I wasn't. No one was interested. No one was asking me out. No one was telling me I was beautiful. You know, my parents were, but you know, it's not the same as when it's like coming. And so like I, I when my marriage ended, I was like forced to really look at what was the reality here? And I kind of, a few realizations occurred to me at once. And and one of them was that the loss of sex had nothing to do with my body. You know, it, it was so many other factors that I've since worked out in therapy, you know, understanding the dynamic between my ex-husband and I. But another thing that I kind of realized I was, I was at brunch with a girlfriend and, and I have to preface this by saying that I spent the last decade being a leader in the body positive movement. So I've been for the last 10 years being like, your body's not flawed. We need representation. You're beautiful the way you are. And I was telling women these things, but I wasn't, it was like true about everyone but me, you know? And I relate to that deeply. Yeah. Like it's very interesting. Like, you know, I've been such a spokesperson and I've been so outspoken, but here I am thinking that like my husband doesn't want to fuck me because I'm fat. No. <laughs> This stuff is so deep that it gets in your mind from the media and from even though you're in that community, it gets in there. I have had a very similar experience. Yeah, I mean, since, yeah, since childhood. And I remember I was out to brunch with a girlfriend, you know, because I I was starting to think about dating again and I was both like really excited and horrified because, you know, like I had said, dating always felt limited. You know, I felt like guys weren't going to like me. And if like a guy did like me, he was like a one-off, you know, like it was like a unique situation. And so I often feel like I ended up in relationships sometimes because they liked me and not that I didn't like them too, but 
I wasn't necessarily like picking who and what I wanted. I wasn't even really looking at who these guys fundamentally were. I'm just like, oh, we have a romantic connection and they like me. So I'm just going to, we're just going to do this, you know? And I really believed that men wouldn't like me because I was fat. I really believed that. And I was sitting at brunch with a girlfriend in January of this year, right? You know, a month after my ex-husband moved out and we were talking about dating and I looked at her and I started to say, yeah, but I have problems dating because, and like, as I was saying it, I real, I was hearing myself. I was like hearing the toxic like rhetoric. I would, I would crush somebody, not crush somebody, but I would be like, what are you saying about your, like, I would hold someone else so accountable for making that statement to themselves. And here I was just like dead ass looking my girlfriend in the face being like, oh, but I have problems dating because men are fat. And it's like, I, I, because men are fat, because <laughs> I'm fat. I love fat men. They're great. But I was like completely repeating all of that stuff I knew was toxic and I knew wasn't true. And like in that moment, I was just like, okay. No, like that's, that's a narrative that you've been telling yourself since middle school. And that's not true. That's not true anymore. And the minute I did that, the minute I had that realization, my whole dating life completely changed. Like insane. The article is basically about like a lot of all of the sex and the partners and what I've learned, but it's just like, I started dating and no one was off limits. The hot male model or like the successful finance guy or all of these people that I were like, oh, they only like thin girls. Like nothing was off limits and it wasn't off limits because I wasn't limiting myself and they were mirroring that back to me. So the article, I just wanted to have you know, an honest conversation about that because I know I'm not the only one that thinks that I don't deserve a certain type of person, you know, and I also have never really read much of anything about fat sex and fat sexuality and like how hot it is. And even talking about fat women having sex at all, we just don't hear about it. So the article was, um, just me kind of sharing that and me talking about the expect the the sexual experiences and and the men and the sex itself and I wanted to bring visibility to that because we just don't hear about it and not hearing about it is part of the problem. The fact that I never saw a story where a fat girl fell in love and was or or maybe she fell in love but there was no way she was being loved back. I wanted to tell that story. I wanted other women to know that like hey, this is not true. This is an untruth. Like you can have all the hot sex you want and you can have all the romance you want and you are not limited by your body. Like men are into it because people are into you and you're, you know, it's just, it has nothing to do with that. It doesn't have to. Not that men don't also harbor fat phobia. They definitely do. You know what I mean? People do. And so I don't want to say that. I've definitely had some unsavory experiences on the dating apps, but for the most part, it's just been this like, incredible, like rewarding, fun experience where I just haven't felt limited at all. That's really expansive for, for me, for people in large bodies, people in any size body, I think, because internalized fat phobia exists across body sizes. And then just also not to like diminish your experience in the body that you're in, but I think that dating is really emotional and scary and intense for your self-worth period, you know, regardless. And so to see just looking, taking size away and just that article for me, because I really, really struggle with body image myself and dating and 
mental confidence that it was so expansive to see you and to see that you are doing something that you didn't like hearing the story now that you didn't think you could do and you've proven to yourself that you can proves to other people that they can yeah thank you first of all i'm so happy that thank you but yeah i i like tearing up (laughs) (laughs) i think that's the importance of representation in media but also hearing these stories because it's weird it's like it's not weird i get it but I under I guess I've underestimated how powerful it is. If you don't see it, you don't think it can happen. And because we haven't seen it in a healthy way, we don't think it can happen. You know, we've only ever seen the romantic interest be Cameron Diaz. You know, and so it's just like we have to be we have to be more honest. We have to be more forthcoming. We ha- that's why representation is important because it impacts the way we view ourselves, you know? And I think about being a young girl and I think about teenage Anastasia and young people look to media and, and culture to understand how they fit into the world or how they don't. And that's why it's so important to like be really transparent. You know, I, the response that I got from that article was tremendous and it, it was a very emotional time because like to your point, even women who weren't plus size found resonance with it because they're like, you know, I'm a size six, but like, I feel this way all the time, you know? And it's just such a universal story that we all feel like flawed in some capacity and we're not (laughs) simply put. We're not. And I think like from a, this is going to sound kind of woo, but like from a manifestation perspective, this friend of mine has this term expanders, Mm -hmm. which is like, if you don't see, and she always says like, if you aren't expanded enough to see yourself and believe that it's po- it's like that saying of you have to believe it before you'll receive it or whatever. Mm-hmm. If you can't believe it's possible for yourself, then it's definitely not going to happen. And I believe that statement fully. Every yeah. time I believe, if I believe I can do something, then I probably can. But if I like for so long, I believed I like couldn't move to New York. Like, how can I figure that? Mm-hmm. Like, I just thought it wasn't possible for me because mm-hmm. I didn't know. I didn't know that it would be. I didn't know that like being someone who didn't have a full-time job was possible until, and when I finally saw enough people who did and could see myself, I was like, okay, great. And then I like, oh, it's no big deal. Like Mm -hmm. I got it. You just buy insurance. Mm -hmm. It's fine. You know, like, (laughs) and it's like the same sort of thing with dating. I think like, and I, I really deeply relate to what you said of like, every time someone has liked me, I've just been like, unless I just like really don't like them, like then I'm like, okay, I don't like you and you like me. I can handle that. But if I like kind of like them or I'm indifferent mm-hmm. and they like me, I'm just like, cool, cool, cool. I'm in. This is great. <laughs> I'm in. What's up? Let's go. Right. But that's what's been, that's what's been so interesting for me. This you're same, hundred percent same. And now there's like all this, all these options on the table. And for the first time in my entire life, I'm dating someone and I'm being like, wait, but does that work for me? Ooh, but do I like that? Wait, is that going to, how is that going to affect me long-term? Wait, does this serve me? This is the first time in my life where I'm asking any of those questions. And then, and then realizing, you know what? You're great, but this doesn't serve me. You know what? You're great, but actually, you know what? This doesn't work for me. And then walk away. I've never, I've almost always been broken up with. I've almost never dumped anyone because of that fear, like feeling so limited and, this is, it's, it's just crazy to me that after a marriage and after dating for, you know, years, like 
this is the first time where I'm actually being like, oh, does that actually work for me? You know, but yeah, that's fascinating and inspiring. And how did, like, why do you feel that way? Because it's interesting. We, as you were talking to me about how you had this big relationship end and then you wrote this article and you've been dating so much, almost identical in timeline. I had a big relationship end and like haven't really been dating. I've gone on like a handful of dates that like haven't been great and it's just been nothing. And so why, how do you, how do you have all of these options? Are these people you're meeting in the wild? Are you on the apps? You seem to be very good at dating. <laughs> I am and exceptional I, at dating. And I believe it. I still have that thought where like, I don't believe it's possible for me because in middle school, nobody liked me mm-hmm. and like, I, I ne- no one had a crush on That's me. That's so. inner child trauma, girl. Trust. I know. I mean, I'm in therapy. I'm doing all the things, but I do not feel the, the plethora of options that you have. And then I think that's why this and all of my friends have been telling me this, like, Um, And now everyone on the internet will know, but this relationship getting over it was so hard for me because it was the first time I felt like, I felt like it was a fluke. I was like, shit, this person that I'm obsessed with and like so much somehow likes me back. Like I was just like, what is happening here? And then all of my fears came true when like they left me, you know, and it's been almost a year now. And I'm so scared that I'm going to get stuck Mm -hmm. in that. I love to get woo woo. But what I hear from you is almost exactly what you just told me about the expansive and about how that creates your reality. It's like when I started dating, which was pretty quickly, my ex-husband moved out in December. I started dating in January. The first experience, the first sexual, because also I was horny. (laughs) I didn't have sex for two years. So I wasn't even necessarily trying to find like a romantic connection at first. I was just like trying to find like a good human being that I could just like destroy and consume with my hungry vagina. But it was like after I had that first experience, it had reaffirmed kind of the realizations I had. And I was able to just date and meet people and it, I was just able to have fun with it. You know, I wasn't like, I didn't put all this expectation on it. I didn't put, I just like showed up and, and I just was like, okay, like this worked, this didn't. I wasn't really looking for anything serious. So I was able to just kind of, it was able to be lighthearted. And I had come to that realization in myself. So they were, you know, these people were mirroring it back to me. I, I meet men on apps on Bumble and Tinder mostly just because my work life is crazy and I feel like, when, how am I going to meet people like organically if it's not at work? But I think we attract what we are. We attract what we think, which is exactly what your friend was saying about the manifestation and, and what you see is what you create, what you think is what you create. And so if you are scared of these like unsavory, that's what you're creating. You're creating from that fear space. You're, so that's what you attract. You attract things that are going to reflect what you're spending the most time thinking about. And that's like, same thing with your relationship. It's like all of that fear of it ending, that's what you were focused on. You know what I mean? And then it manifested, you created it because you're not, you're not like some helpless thing blowing in the wind. You're like a powerful creatress. You create your reality. You create your world for better or worse. Right. And so for me, I had so many options because for the first time I believed that I had so many options for the first time I was like, wait, actually I'm not limited. And then the universe responds like, yep, you're not correct. You're not. And like, look at this, look at what you've been through and look at, you know, and I said something in the article, like I, 
I kept having these like hot experiences. Like the sex was so hot. And I was like, oh my God, like, am I just meeting like the sexiest guys in New York? Like this is what a coincidence. And it's just like, no bitch, that wasn't a coincidence. Like you're hot. Sex with you is hot. And so it's just hot because you're fucking hot. I said hot so many times, but you know what I'm saying? Like I was creating that because that's the space I was in. And, you know, I'm in an interesting space with it now because now I am kind of looking for something not, you know, I'm not, don't know if I'm looking for like another marriage right this minute, but I am looking for something a little bit more. I want to like explore something with someone. And I just went through a breakup a month ago with someone that I was on and off dating for eight months. And it, it was the first breakup since my marriage. And I had to like, I didn't have to rehash things that I've already learned, but it was like a whole new set of things that I had to deal with because when I was dating him, like I I, like this insecurity kept bubbling up and I was like, what, what is this? Like, I thought I worked past this and it turns out like he was talking to other girls and like, that was just my intuition. It wasn't insecurity. Like I was just picking up on it, you know? Correct. (laughs) Exactly. And so it just was like, even though that relationship ended, it, it was lovely for when it was lovely, you know, he was a beautiful person and, but it was another lesson in like trusting myself. And, and I feel like I kind of got lost here for a second, but each relationship has been revealing in its own way. Totally. And I think about that all the time of like relationships are mirrors for us to grow and change and learn about ourselves. And even dating experiences, I think are that too. And no matter how long they last. I mean, I think any relationship is actually, I think friendships are, I think anytime you're interacting with another human being like has been way more, way more of a learning experience for me than any self-help book, even mm-hmm. therapy. It's like, do you want to expedite your growth? Be in a romantic partnership and you'll <laughs> learn so much about yourself and where you need to grow and where you need to change and where you're recreating patterns from childhood or your parents and it's fascinating and it's also beautiful and wonderful and funny and weird and uncomfortable and And painful and sometimes you're in that depression place and you're crying and all of that it's like my friend actually gave me this beautiful metaphor that i've related to so much this year and she was talking about this is like such a like cliche but she was talking about like the caterpillar emerging the butterfly Mm. And she was saying how like, we all like to think that the butterfly like emerges from the cocoon and like one fell swoop, it just bursts free. And it's like, you know, but that's not what it's like. It's like a wing pops out here and then like a foot there and it's like cramped and like the wing is sticking out and like one foot and then the other foot. And it like the process of breaking out of the cocoon, it's not comfortable. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't, it's not one beautiful fell swoop, but that's where that evolution and that growth and that change happens, you know, and it's not comfortable. That's so good. I co-host this other project about anxiety called Spiraling and my co-host calls this year my cocoon year. Mm. And I've been thinking about that sort of analogy, but you just really made it clear because growth isn't linear. And just because I've been kind of in this cocoon all year, And like the story I told earlier about like I'd been in kind of a good place more recently. I'm Mm -hmm. working on a new project and I I had been feeling not progressively better since this breakup. It hasn't been linear. There's been ups and downs, but like I was on and up. And then I had a couple of days that were down. I was like, God damn it. Like, like, Mm -hmm. cool. I get this. But like I'd been up. So what's what's going on here? I was almost like you were saying, like I was 
judging my feelings instead of just accepting it. And I think that that analogy of it being like growth is messy. Change is messy. Moving is messy. Mm -hmm. Relationships are messy and uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, that's so, I love that so much. And my friend Jenna's a genius. Yeah. That's really great. What has been the greatest lesson you've gotten from therapy over this about dating and transitions and breakups? Oh, God. I like just one. My therapist is so amazing. Um, (laughs) How did you find her? Through a girlfriend, actually. A friend of mine, after a year of the sexless stuff, I was talking to everyone about it because that's another thing that doesn't get talked about. And I realized how common that is, like for sex to disappear from marriage. And in kind of like talking to girlfriends and, and like my coworkers, like, my friend shared with her therapist and her therapist, my, her therapist, not my therapist is also a spiritual practitioner. So I could have those woo woo conversations with her in conjunction to like, you know, the psychological, that kind of stuff. But sorry, back to what I kind of learned. One thing my therapist has been really good about is making me aware of my own behavior patterns, like things that I didn't realize, but also she pulls me out of the minutia and she forces me to look at the big picture. And when you are not in the minutia, when you like step back and look at the big picture, you see how far you've come, Mm -hmm. you know, and you see how much change has happened because I think sometimes when we're like mucking around in the dirt, like we forget how far we've come. And so Definitely like that. Definitely like being like, okay, you know, it's not, I'm, I'm in this minutia right now, but look at the big picture. Definitely what I said earlier about not being in judgment of my own feelings. That was a, a big, big thing I learned from her. And to really just let myself feel what I'm feeling. Just sit in it. Like we're not always going to be comfortable. That's not how life is, you know, and learning how to like really show up for yourself and show up for the inner, like the inner child you when you're going through those moments. I'm so thankful I have those tools now. Yeah. What are some of those tools to like in the moment when you, when you feel a feeling coming up, how do you, what do you do? How do you decide to, you mentioned like sitting in the bath and just like crying and letting it out. Is there anything else that you do to feel it? Baths are really big, but I also, I've really baths are everything. Baths are everything. We got a salt bath. Don't get me started. One thing that's become really important for me this year is is community. Is having my close group of friends that if I'm going through it or if I'm feeling anxious, having someone to Facetime and just talk. You know, someone who has you know a lot. I have a lot of my like college friends live literally like five blocks from me, and my close girlfriends just having a community and and feeling strong enough to be vulnerable with them because people think vulnerability is weakness it's real it takes a lot of strength and a lot of courage to be vulnerable and ask for help it is actually easier to suffer than it is to ask for help truly because to ask for help you have to compromise your ego and so being able to like let go of my ego and lean on my friends and just be like hey um, I know I sound irrational right now, but I just need to workshop that. That has been a huge tool for me in those moments is just, just reaching out. Sometimes I will FaceTime five different people. Like I will talk to her for 30 minutes and then I'll talk to him for 30 minutes until I feel like I 
have ex- expressed it enough because I also don't want to dump all my stuff on all of my friends, but to have them there to hold space for me and also for me to hold space for them when they're going through it, that has been a really important tool. And I think we kind of both kind of alluded to this earlier, but allowing myself to st- and, and forcing myself to stop. Like when I'm feeling that stuff, don't try to like run out and go to a party. Don't try to like get on Tinder and find a date. Stop. And yeah, it's uncomfortable. And yeah, it means like you might have a breakdown in this room, but, but allowing myself to stop and feel is an act of self-love. Like that is the, the healing, you know, to process. So yeah. And it won't kill us, you know, but what might kill us is suppressing and pushing it down and a hundred percent. This is the thing. Like we all want to feel good, you know, but a breakup is not going to kill you. It's going to, it it could hurt like hell, but you're going to be fine because you were fine before you met that person. Right. You know, like no emotion is going to ruin your life if you just allow yourself to, and not even if, just if you allow yourself to work through it. Because also oftentimes I find if I'm feeling something, even the act of just saying how I'm feeling out loud sometimes resolves it. Totally. Just acknowledging it. Just yeah. fucking acknowledge it. Like, I feel jealous right now. Mm -hmm. I feel angry right now. I feel sad. You know, like that acknowledgement, it allows me to move out of it. Yeah. I've been really like just, yeah, there's something about naming it and articulating it. Maybe that's not for everyone. Maybe for us, since we seem to be very similar. But like- What sign are you? Taurus. I'm a Taurus moon. Maybe that's it. Gemini, Taurus moon. Oh, I've dated only Gemini. (laughs) We're great. When I feel lonely or I feel sad, somebody told me to do this or that they do this, like just like putting my hand on my heart for some reason and just being like, okay, this is like, I, I'm feeling it. I'm fe- I, I, and me saying this out loud is funny because like I rarely remember to do this. Usually I turn to my phone to get a quick hit of dopamine. Mm-hmm. But like I wrote in a post-it today. I, w- I was just like, do not look at your phone when you're feeling depressed. There's nothing there for you. Because like every once in a while, it might work. It might like something I post might have landed with people and I get a hit of dopamine from that or I feel connection or validation mm-hmm. or whatever I'm after. But a lot of times I'm going to not get what I'm seeking on that app, you know, or in my text messages or in my email. And that's just going to make me feel worse. So to prevent that, just don't do it and go to something that you know will make you feel better or just sit with a feeling and wait for it to pass like mm-hmm. anything else like feelings are like the weather and i never question when it's cloudy that it'll be sunny again even though it might be april in mm-hmm. new york when it's like never feels like it's going to be nice out <laughs> and that's that's hard that's depression is like that hopelessness so they're like feel like that can go away. And that's when you, I think you need to turn to friends because Absolutely. that hopelessness They'll remind you, you can, there's, I think there's like a slippery slope. And I think we're kind of, t- we've been teetering on that in this conversation of like staying in your sitting with your stuff. And like, it's like what we were talking about needing alone time and needing together time. It's like, you need to feel your feelings, but also like if you're feeling your feelings too much, it could go to 
rumination and Mm -hmm. like sometimes you can't work out of it. Sometimes it's like a Charlie Mm -hmm. horse. You need to go like get a massage, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That's self-care. Right. That's an act of self-love. You know, I, a lot of times, like if I'm in those moments, I think about like little Anastasia standing next to me and I'm like, okay, what would I do for her? Anything. I would do anything for her. I would take her to get an ice cream or I would take her to the park or I would brush her hair and tell her she's great. So it's like, if I would do that for little Anastasia, like why is big Anastasia any different? Sometimes little Anastasia just like needs a manicure. You know what I mean? And so right. it's just, yeah. I'm I'm really thinking about that too of like when I was a kid, I don't know if it was like this for you, but articulating my feelings wasn't something that I did. I didn't learn that. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't have that modeled for me. So I think a lot of what you were saying before of this reparenting yourself is challenging, but also really beautiful. And I've been looking at, I was just listening. Have you watched Jenny Slate's new special or read her book? Mm-mm, what's it called? It Little Weirds. Mm-mm. I just listened to her on another podcast on the train on the way over here. And she had a divorce this year and then made a bunch of art about it and processed and much like you in that way and both ways, I guess. But she was saying how all of the things that she all the ways that she's grown and changed this year weren't because of like pain that happened from that relationship they were always there Mm -hmm. it was just brought to the surface Mm -hmm. as a mirror as a mirror for and she was then given the opportunity to change and grow and heal and so I think for both of us like if we would have stayed in those relationships or or if this wouldn't have happened then like we were okay things were like fine but i don't think we could have gotten to like the next level, the, the metamorphosis. Like 100%. we couldn't have, we were staying one way. And I think that on a good day, I can look at the pain and the softness and the vulnerability that's come from this. And I can see like my community got so much richer. My friendships are so much deeper. My work is going to be in a different direction mm-hmm. and, and deeper and better as I a result of me this. just a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. But then on a bad day when I'm like spiraling, I'm thinking like, oh my God, am I going to be alone forever? Was that like, I miss it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, but I have to remember that like, that's a bad voice in my mind. Like that's something I shouldn't listen to. Like trying to stay on the side of goodness and truth and mm-hmm. positivity. And again, I think that's where, friends can remind you and that's where you can lean on like standing on the shoulders of other people and practitioners, you know, practitioners. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, man, I I think this is like such a rich conversation. I'm getting a, I'm getting a lot from this in terms of dating. How do you, like, we've talked about it from like a couple angles, but like, let's, uh, I have a date tonight, weirdly. <gasps> oh my God. I'm like dreading it what and I don't want to go. What sign? Yeah. I have no idea. You should know that before you go out. Really? Him. Yeah. Where are you going? Some place that he picked in Greenpoint. I like that. Like, did he? Yeah. Okay. I, I love when a guy picks. Yes. You, honey, picks a my place. neighbor. Tell me where. Have you, so you know him. It's not like a cold meat. It's not a cold meat, but I don't really know. We hung out one night with like a group of people. Okay. And then he asked his friend for my number. And then okay. he texted me like three weeks ago. And I was like, this is the first day I'm free. So it's today. So it's been like, there's been a lag time. Yeah. And I'm like dreading it. Like, I don't want to leave here with you because then it means I have to go and do this date. <laughs> Wait, why are you dreading it? Because I Should just like, you get be going nervous. if you're dreading it. No, I mean, like, I'm ex- I, w- I was excited, but now oh, okay. I'm just like nervous. What are you nervous about? I 
don't like if I was going out to dinner with like a cozy girlfriend, I would mm-hmm. just feel excited and great and show mm-hmm. up and it would be like, what are no you problem. nervous about? Rejection, the mirror, feeling my feelings. Like mm-hmm. I feel like dating is so anxiety provoking. I don't think you feel that way though. No, oh my God. I have so much fun dating. How do you do that? Um, <laughs> can, can I be like the, the, I will say, I will say I went on a third date last night with this guy who our first date was awesome and I've been like really excited about him. And last night he, he plays it really cool. And I'm like very, I put it all out there and I'm very warm and I'm very like touchy and tactile. I don't want to play it cool. If I'm into you, like I'm into you, let's do this, you know, but he plays it very cool. And he played it extremely cool last night. And I was kind of like, wait, like, are you into me? And not because I don't, not because I feel insecure, but because I'm like, yeah, I'm just like, mm, this feels yeah. a little bit different. And, you know, like, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to have to have that talk with him, you know, like, and I'm like, I'm going to maybe, maybe I'm going to come off as being like aggressive or clingy because I'm going to just be honest with him. You know, Good I'm just going to say like, hey, yeah. I'm into you. I feel like maybe this isn't reciprocal. Is that the case? What's going on with you? You know, and may that potentially push him away? You know, yeah. I could send I'm going to send him that text tonight or tomorrow morning. That may or may not make him be like deuces. And that sucks because he's really close to like what I'm looking for. Like he's checked so many of these boxes and I want to know more. But it's just like if me being my authentic self, which me being my authentic self means I'm sending you a paragraph about how I'm feeling. Like how are you going to handle that? Yeah. If he can't handle that, then he's not it. Right. (laughs) And I'm not. You might as well know that. No. Yeah, but it's also like I'm not attached to it. I I don't need like if he's not it, I don't want it anyway. And so it's like that's how I date. It's just like if this doesn't work out, if you reject me, you just weren't like you weren't it because I don't reject me. My worth is not determined by whether you like me or not. You know, mm. I know that I'm hot as fuck. I know that I am an incredible person and an incredible lover. So if you can't receive that if you can't mirror that back to me it's just not you're not even there's you're not flawed there's nothing wrong with you you're just just not not, you're just not a fit and that's okay so that lowers the stakes and the nervousness because it's just like we're just two people if this works out great if not you that the guy you're going out with tonight has his own trauma right he has his own shit and when you can show up to to dating with just being like you're just a human you know like i feel like I gave men so much power, mm-hmm. you know, like I put them on this pedestal and I was like, they have it all figured. And it's just like, yeah, no, he also went through a really bad breakup at one point, And he also has felt all of those things you're feeling. And he also is scared of rejection. And maybe it's in a different way, depending on where he is in his journey. But like, he's just a fucking human being. Yeah. He met a cute girl that he just wants to get to know more. And that's where he's at right now. So it's just like, you're going to go have a drink with someone tonight. Maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. But like, if you can just show up and have fun and realize that like, well, rejection, he asked you out. He's taking you out. This motherfucker waited three weeks to take you out because that was the first day you were free. If someone told me, see you in three weeks, I would be like, deuces. I don't even know who (laughs) I'm going to be in three weeks. He waited for three weeks to take you out and you were going out with him tonight. So whether or not you marry this man or date this man, like you're not rejected. This is so funny that this is recorded because when I do the intro to this, I'm going to have to be like, oh, yeah, it was terrible. Or like, oh, turns out I'm in love. Like, (laughs) (laughs) This is so funny. I love it. 
it's not going to be terrible if you can just be like, hey, I'm a human, you're a human, what's up? Can you come with me? (laughs) No, because you got this. You got this. I listen, I will just have fun with it. Dating is fun. It's yeah, fun. I think I I think part of it too, and maybe tell me if you felt this way because now you've had practice. But like, <laughs> that's an understatement. Did you feel? <laughs> did you like mirror these feelings I'm having of like these nerves and this anxiety the in January when you were starting this? Yeah, maybe with the very first partner, especially because he was like very, I hate this term, but like conventionally attractive. Mm-hmm. Like he was like very fit and very like you know he just was like all he was like the, like a physically. The, the epitome in a lot of ways of things I thought I could never have, you know, or would never, not that I could never, just would never be attracted to me. And after that first experience, I had like a hot connection with him. Like we had hot sex. It was so, and I was just like, that helped dissolve, not because he reaffirmed me because Mm -hmm. I reaffirmed myself, you know? And so I still get like, sometimes I get like excited, you know, or sometimes I, when when I got if I don't hear from a guy again, I get disappointed. I'm not going to pretend that I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I went on this amazing date with this guy, and like it was so cute. We like went to a coffee shop and we like shared pie and like drank hot chocolate. He took me down to you know, God, what's that called? Where twenty? It's, it's in Brooklyn. No, it's in Brooklyn and it overlooks the city. It's like uh, it's like called the prom. It's like Brooklyn prom or some shit. But like he then proceeds to like make oh, out with me about. in front of the whole New York skyline, oh. and it was so romantic. I never went on a date with him again. I never like I talked to him maybe once after, and I never heard from him again. But you know what? That date was fucking magical, and it was right after I broke up with the guy mm. who I was seeing for eight months, and he was a very romantic man, and I love romance, like. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like I want the romance. Yes. I want that like stuff that you think is cheesy. I thought I would never find it again because, you know, I feel like it's kind of a dying thing with men of our generation. Mm -hmm. They like don't get romance. Um, But then like my first date right after that guy was this romantic experience. Did, did I never heard from him again? We never had a second date. The universe is showing you this exists. It it exists. It's out there. That's interesting though, because I've had a very different, like I, one of the dates that I had this summer, we met in the wild at a coffee shop, mm-hmm. had a great conversation. Then he asked me out mm-hmm. and then we had this, he picked a great place. He p- happened to pick the place. I had my birthday. Like it was, a, we had oysters and a couple drinks and then we went and got another drink and it was like generally good. And then the next day I texted him cause he like spilled wine on himself. And I was like, Oh, did you get the wine out? Whatever. Mm-hmm. We texted a little bit and then totally ghosted, never hear from him again. And that was my first experience with ghosting, which I had heard my friends talk about mm-hmm. at length. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, Oh, I get it. And mm-hmm. it, and it hurts and it's like shitty. But now hearing your perspective of it, like I could totally reframe that to be like, Oh, that was a really nice time I had with another human being. It, it ended. And honestly, like, I didn't really like him. I didn't want to hang out with him again, really. It so was why did you text him the next day? For validation, because I have low self-worth. And like, I, yeah, one, I just was like, wanted to keep, I wanted to see like, ooh, do you also like me? Am I okay? Am I, it's like anxiety. Texted him back, not Katie. I will say I try, this is like probably toxic, but <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. I feel like men are hunters. Like, like in a primal, like caveman type way, this is like maybe not very feminist of me either. I'm going to be honest and not worry about how mm-hmm. it looks. No, please. I feel like men are hunters. I, I will never, I usually, 
especially after a first date, I will never text first. Mm-hmm. I feel like you need to hunt. Like you need to, I've, I've, men to me are like rubber bands. They come in close and then they got to snap back and then they come back close if they're interested. If they're not, that's fine. That's but like, so I really, I really let people come to me because I feel like that's with men. Like that's just how it is. That's how I know if you're coming back to me. Cool. If not, Maybe that hurts for like a split second, but you know what? On to the next. This is New York City, you know? Mm-hmm. We're young and cute. It's like, fuck it. That's so funny. Like, I, that conf, you have what seems to me like you've worked on your self worth or you've always had it or you have not always it. had it. I've worked really hard for a decade. I thought that men wouldn't like me because I was fat 11 months ago, you know? Wow. Yeah. So how how do I do that? <laughs> Is it contagious? Can you just like wave your magic your magic wand pencil say, at me? <laughs> being being around the women who have been also like alongside me working in the body positive movement for the last decade definitely rubbed off. Definitely having those conversations, but I go back and forth. Like you know, I, sometimes like I have a day where I'm just like, oh my god, I feel you know I'm not feeling as confident. But it it has to. I know that at the end of the day, like I know my worth, I know what I bring to the table and it supersedes all of those things. But yeah, it's definitely been a practice and it definitely. What do you, a question I, we always talk about body image on this podcast and the way I usually frame that question is like when you're having what I call a bad body image day, like mm-hmm. you're feeling fine in the morning and then for some reason mm-hmm. a look in the mirror or someone not texting you back or mm-hmm. whatever, like suddenly you're spiraling. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Or if you have those days or moments, how do you pivot and get out I of it? I just immediately change the, to the conversation I'm having in my head. The minute the thought enters and the dial, you know, like that inner dialogue mm-hmm. where you start talking to yourself, the minute it starts to happen, I automatically look in the mirror and I'm like, you know, that's not true. You're beautiful. Your body is perfect. And I say these things out loud while I look at myself in the mirror in that moment. If I'm out in public, like I'll go into the bathroom and do it. I Because that inner dialogue is so powerful. It's so powerful. And even like it, it's so the self-hate and like the, the self-deprecation is so ingrained in us that sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. And you'll be having that inner dialogue with yourself for an hour and you don't even realize you're doing it because it's so second nature. It's like that, you know, mean girls were like, they're all standing in front of the mirror and they're like, Oh my God, I need to lose 10 pounds. Or she's like, she's like, Oh, my ears are so weird or whatever they're talking about. Like it's, it's a joke. My nail beds suck. Yeah. (laughs) So you agree. You think you're really pretty. But it's just like that kind of self-talk is so normalized culturally for women, especially that we don't even realize when we're doing it to ourselves or each other because it's just so normal. So it's really been a practice for me to when it, the minute it's happening, recognize it, one, stop, two, change the conversation, change the subject. We're not talking about this. This is not who we are. And the more I reaffirm myself and the more I change that conversation, it started to penetrate. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And also defining my worth by things other than what I look like. Mm -hmm. Like, what does that even mean? You know, and what, what even is beautiful? It's so different for, because so many different things are beautiful. It's not like if my stomach was a little flatter, that would make me more beautiful. Like that doesn't even make sense, you know? Yeah. It's interesting because I think I have this low self-worth in, in a plethora of areas. Like my therapist has been asking me to do that exact exercise of Mm -hmm. the mirror work and look in the mirror 
And I've tried it, honestly, not very often because I have a big aversion to doing it because I'm like, all right, well, that's bullshit, you know? Like, and I don't know how to, I feel like the neuro pathways in my mind are like five lane highways. To, so to reprogram that, maybe I just need to be patient with myself, but it's not just about my my whole thing and my like whole arc to where I I just want to say something before I forget it. Yes, please, it. please. What you said about like being like, this is bullshit. You're, you have been doing that exercise in reverse and it has worked so well that you think you're worthless. So if it's worked in the reverse, it will absolutely work forward. It's kind of like that Kurt Vonnegut quote of like, we are what we pretend, fake it till you make it essentially. Yeah. I believe that with every fiber of my being because fake it till you make it is the same thing your friend said. It's all about manifestation. It's all about the fact that we are all creators. We create what we think about, what we feel. That's what mirrors back to us. So it's all the same thing. It's all the same principle, the law of attraction, if you will. Right. So yeah, because for me, it's like, it's not just about the physical stuff. It's like, what you were saying, I think is so wonderful. And I always, I, I gave this talk once that was like, make your life, your work of art, not your body about, you know, if you make your life as a whole really great and wonderful and your work, the obsession with your body starts to dissipate. And I do think that's true. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I, I see this pattern happening in my mind, as soon as I have like a work fail, or I think especially this year, it's been exasperated by being a freelancer of like, yeah. we talked about this a little bit on the panel. Like when you work for someone else, you get that hit of completion and dopamine when you at least do all the tasks for your boss and you know you're getting paid. So a lot of that uncertainty, at least in that realm of your life, goes away. But when mm -hmm. you're a freelancer, especially when you're completely solo and you're a single person, mm -hmm. suddenly there's a lot of there's a lot of avenues for uncertainty mm -hmm. and change. Well, the and financial uncertainty being a freelancer, um, I didn't I really didn't realize to the end of this year how much that affects me. Because sometimes like when I'm like waiting on that invoice or when I'm in between clients, like that's when a lot of this stuff starts to act up. And it's like, because I'm scared about something else, it's like, yeah. make, it's like, you know, and I just look for a way to direct it. Right. You know? It all compounds on each other. And I mm -hmm. think it's like when I don't feel, when I feel like I've had a very productive work day or I've at least like checked off the tasks I wanted to check off, mm -hmm. I probably am not obsessing about my body or I'm probably not feeling insecure about my body mm -hmm. and then vice versa, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like just being able to sit in your self-worth and feel some sort of confidence regardless of the circumstances, like that's the practice. Do you think you're a good friend? Yeah, I do. I think I haven't been, but I think I am. Do you think you're a good daughter? I try. I mean, trying is like the best you can do. So yeah. like you're a great daughter then if you're trying, right? Yeah. So it's just like that is a part of your self-worth. Right. You know, like you're a great friend and like you're a great daughter because you try to be the best you can. You know what right. I mean? And you maybe in your friendships, you know, I can relate to that because I've been I'm I'm a great friend, but I have been more selfish this year than I have been generous because I've had to because that's what I'm going through. But it doesn't make me any less of a good friend. It just means I had to like, you know, come back in. But those things define your self-worth. 
it's not just your job. I think I think defining, uh, like assigning our worth to work is a really slippery totally. slope. And it becomes even more slippery when you're a creative because you love what you do and because your work is a, a piece of you. Like it's an expression of who you are. And so I, I've really had to like find multiple ways to assign what I think makes me valuable, you know, and my work is only a piece of it. It has to be because then that's what happens. You become beholden to your to-do list. And if your to-do list doesn't get checked, all of a sudden you're a failure, you know? And it's just like, no, you're not because you're an amazing friend and like, you're a good person. And like, you're out in the world trying to like shine a light and, and change things for people. So that's all. And that's not about your work. That's about your heart. And that makes you valuable. Your like waistline or your thigh gap, like the fuck is that? Right. And all it's all fleeting. Like we're all going to age. Our bodies are going to change. Yeah, but, but it's not even work- fleeting. That's like assuming that beauty is assigned to age, you know, and it's not. It's just, you know, our our bodies are vessels. You know, they are these like wonderful gifts that allow us to move through the world so we can do the real work. They're not flawed. You know, they're perfect. Getting attached to any any part of yourself of like anything is your identity physically mm-hmm. with work with social media, with yeah. a relationship. It's like, we're the only one that's going to go with us until we die. Even yeah. a friendship, like I've identified, yes. living in New York, like everything could change. And yeah, so just to assign value to those things to the point where our self-worth is attached to it is kind of a waste of time because you're just going to have to do that self-work eventually. So you might as well you're do it. You're never going to escape it. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes I look at my body and I'm just like in awe of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what a gift. I am able-bodied. You know, I use this body to like move through the world and I use this body to like love people and I use this body to like make art that inspires me and hopefully other people and I use this body to like take care of the people I love and I can dance in this body and I can go swimming in the ocean with this body and like, look how strong it is and look how it heals when it's broken and look, looking at my body in that way and really looking at it from a place of gratitude has really helped me shift the way I perceive my body image. Yeah. And I think that's, that's so beautiful and inspiring and makes so much sense. And when you were talking about being able-bodied and everything that you do with your body, we didn't even touch on photography, but you have a very like physical job in, in terms of being a photographer. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that a little bit? How did yeah. you get into photography and talk a little bit about your aesthetic and your work? It's so beautiful and yeah. you are incredibly talented. I have always loved taking pictures. I didn't know being a photographer was like a job you had until I saw that movie Stepmom. Do you remember that movie? Yes, I do. With Julia Roberts mm-hmm. and Susan Sarandon. Who was the photographer in that? Julia Roberts. Really? She's a fashion photographer. Remember, she brought the kids on set with her at Central Park and she was shooting oh, that yeah, like Armani vaguely. suit campaign. Yeah. Um, that was kind of like the first time where I was like, wait, that's a job you can do? Because I would, you know, in middle school, my girlfriends were like asking for money to like get their nails done. And I was like asking for money to buy disposable cameras and get them developed. And I would like bring my girlfriends to the mall and we would go into the dressing rooms and we would like pull all of these outfits and I would like make them try on the outfits and I would photograph them in the dressing room. And I didn't know what fashion photography was. I didn't even really understand that was a thing, but it was just like fun. Like I just loved it. And 
it's so funny now because I'm like, bitch, you were a fashion photographer then. But like, you know, I just did what felt fun to me. And I always, you know, I studied theater through middle and high school and I thought that I would pursue that. But then I realized that like I wanted to go to art school and I wanted to study photography. And once I got to art school and really started to like learn, like my first semester, my freshman year, I was like, oh shit, this is it. Like I am so into this. I am so passionate about this. I didn't even party very much in college because I was so in love with like learning about photography. Ringling College of Art and Design. It's in Sarasota, Florida. And, you know, when I was in school, I've told this story so many times, but it's still true. Always true. When I was in school, like I didn't, I didn't think about fashion photography in terms of like my own narrative or how looking at pictures like affected me. I just wanted to be a famous fashion photographer. And my first job out of college, I feel like I, I might have even said this story on the panel, but my first job out of college, I was working for a huge e-commerce conglomerate. Good though. I was going to ask you to tell it. So Amazing. feel free. I remember sitting at a table. We were having a meeting about the future product launch of this plus size division they were going to launch on the website. And the producer of the shoot goes, oh, well, we can just hire thin models and pin the, the clothes down to fit them. And I was just like, I didn't even mean to, but I was just like, no. And I did scream. And <laughs> it was kind of involuntary. And it was funny. Like, it's one of those like moments from a movie where everyone like turns and slowly looks at you. And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm, you know, I was 22 years old. I was the youngest person at the table. Everyone was like 20 years my senior. And I kind of expected them to just be like, all right, kids, shut up. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. But my boss turns to me and he goes, why do you say that? And I was like, you can't do that. And this is why. And this is the psychology of our customer. And this is how it's going to make her feel. And it's not the best, you know. And again, I fully expected him to be like, okay, you're wrong. I know more because I've been doing this longer. But instead of telling me to shut up, like he listened to me. And he listened to me because I, unlike him, represented that customer in a way he could never understand. And so all of a sudden living in my body gave me this credibility of this subject matter. And he goes, okay, great. You're going to handle all of the casting. You're going to shoot all the product and editorial shots and go ahead. And I was like, okay, shit. Um, <laughs> it was a huge undertaking, but it was kind of like this like light switch moment for me where I realized that like, not only could my experience as a fat woman affect my work, but it should affect my work. And kind of from that moment on, you know, over the next couple of years, like I really started to make conscious choices about creating high-end images of plus-size models because at that time nobody was really wanting to shoot them it was so far and few between not for they would shoot them for clients but they would not shoot them for creative editorial projects and it was from that moment on where I kind of realized like I didn't want to be perpetuating the same kind of like toxic imagery that has made me feel like a piece of shit you know what I mean and made me feel worthless and unattractive so and I, I kind of realized that like as an image maker, I have a responsibility to think about the work that I create and to be mindful about how it's going to impact people when they look at it because it has an impact. Like we look at imagery and it's really, it, it impacts us on a psychological level. The brain processes an image 60,000 times faster than it does a word. That's a, that's a statistic from the straight curve documentary. But when you realize that, you can really understand how powerful an, an image is. So 
for me, from that moment on, it kind of began my process of trying to recreate the types of imagery that I was seeing in Vogue or that I was seeing in all of these high-end magazines, but doing it with bodies that we weren't used to seeing. And, you know, at first it was about body size and shooting plus size models. And then I just became so conscious of like all of the intersecting identities and how important it was to show everyone because then, you know, my black girlfriends were sharing their pain of not seeing themselves, you know, represented and feeling like their hair was flawed because it wasn't white straight hair. And, you know, I just became so conscious of all of these intersecting identities. And I, again, like felt the responsibility to make sure that I was creating beautiful images of fat women and beautiful images of black women and showing and photographing trans women and showing, you know, my friends who are differently abled and, you know, making and doing it in a way that is very elevated and is very polished because it's, it's like, unless you see it, you don't think it can happen. Right. And so I wanted people to see that it could happen and it could happen in a high end way. And so that's, what I've been doing for the last 10 years and, you know, specifically in the last three years, there's been a lot of change because of this work, you know, and we still have a long way to go, but I am just like humbled and proud to see how much has shifted and how much has evolved. And I'm excited to see what else happens, you know? God, I, I really, you're very inspiring. I just really like you a lot and I want to keep talking for like three hours, but I have to go to this goddamn date. No, you get to go on this date. Oh my so, God, this is well, going to be so fun. Well, I do want to keep talking to you. So let's do the rest of these as like quick fire. Okay. How do you feel about that? I feel so great about okay, that. Okay, great. So if you had to give one piece of advice to young photographers or just photographers in general, what would you say? Stick to your vision. Trust your vision. I wrote this book, as you know, about journaling. You're also a writer has writing been cathartic to you? I know we talked about that article specifically, but is journaling something that you do? I don't journal as I don't journal regularly. I do in spurts throughout. I have in spurts throughout my life. It's not something I regularly maintain. I would like to because yes, writing is cathartic and working on oh, the You've got a book. <laughs> I know, working on the book that I'm writing now has been cathartic. Writing that article was very cathartic. So, yes, writing is definitely what is the best thing you've eaten in the last week? <laughs> Thanksgiving was a week ago, so that's a tough call. You know what? I did have a chocolate eclair ice cream bar today for breakfast that was pretty fucking good. Um, but also, like, we have a traditional uh, Spanish dish that we make in the holidays called benin, and it's like a slow-roasted pork shoulder stuffed with, like, Ooh. cilantro and garlic. And it's insane. That was probably the best thing I've had in the last week. What is your morning ritual do you have one is there like what are the usual like first three things you do when you wake up in the morning this is unpopular but I wake up I check my phone mm -hmm. I go pee I immediately brush my teeth because I feel like I, I'm not awake until I brush my teeth totally same Gross. and then yeah like what is that um people who don't need to pee first thing in the morning also are like not human right. those are aliens right yeah it's those are Martians. Bizarre. yeah yeah from outer space I wake up check my phone briefly go pee brush my teeth and then I do my makeup. You're great at makeup. Do you have you always been good at makeup? Is that something that you enjoy as like a hobby? I do really. I love makeup. I just because it's like art to me. It's like a way to express yeah. myself. It's like another extension of expressing my style. Um, I got into it in college. I think working with makeup artists for photo shoots is yeah. what I learned a lot. Then I learn a lot now. <laughs> I think that's why I like maybe mm -hmm. I'm okay at it. Yeah. But yeah, I do love it. It's definitely a hobby. What 
is your ideal like evening routine? Like what do you do to wind down, relax after a Mm -hmm. day? For me, the lighting in my apartment is really important. So like having like a dim lighting situation, I always have candles. Really nice salt lamp as well. Thank you. That salt lamp is on always, even when I'm sleeping. I like to like keep like a nice calm dim lighting. I light all the candles because scent is like really calming Mm, for me. Smells amazing in here. Thank (laughs) you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, does it? I had no idea. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, just keeping a calm home and a calm space and like, I like to slow down. I like to play music. Sometimes it's calm music. Sometimes it's just like upbeat dancing music that makes me feel joyful and makes me feel positive. Sometimes it's taking a long bath. You know, I love a bath. We've established this. Mm -hmm. Same. Where's your favorite place in New York other than your apartment? Shit. It's definitely my apartment. Oh, my favorite place in New York. Or a couple like places that you like. I love down by the water in Williamsburg. Mm -hmm. There's like that pier that stretches out that overlooks the city. I really love walking that pier and going all the way to the edge and just overlooking Manhattan. That's like a really special place for me. I also love Central Park. I know that's cliche, but it's true. I do. And I love Brooklyn. I just love Brooklyn in general. Yeah, same. Yeah. You're a very good friend. What's your greatest lesson on friendship? Give as much as you take and take as much as you give. It has to be cyclical. Mm. And if you're in a friendship where you're giving more than you're receiving, you're not in a friendship. Mm, that's that like hit me hard (laughs) you we've established our freelancer I think being a photographer is one of the most one of the industries where I think you have to be like the most organized I have a lot of friends and people I know who do that and in terms of technology and equipment and client there's so many hats you have to wear in a lot of freelance positions but that especially I think more so Mm -hmm. than being a writer and a lot of other creative pursuits so my question for you is about organization like do you have any tools that are useful strategies handling your inbox like what how are you an adult person organizing (laughs) your life (laughs) Well, I think one thing that I've learned is the importance of delegation. I think I accept that I can't wear all of those hats successfully Mm -hmm. and and do them, you know, maybe I can half-ass wear all of them and do a half-ass job, but that's not going to grow my business. So for me, it's about delegating. You know, I don't worry about the equipment. I let my assist, my photo assistant and my lighting technician worry about the equipment Mm -hmm. because that's, if I'm worrying about the equipment, then I'm not focused on the creative. I'm not, you know, Mm -hmm. I try to... I, I basically delegate. I let I, I have people do the respective parts so that I don't have to do them all. I can just oversee and I can focus on the most important aspect of my job, which is taking and creating the image. Mm-hmm. Anything else in like outside of photography with being a freelancer with email or with all the different things you have to manage? Are there any other tools or apps or strategies or things that have been helpful for you? For me, like using, I do a lot of like spreadsheets to keep myself organized. Sometimes like the act of just writing something down helps organize it for me mentally. So I definitely use a lot of Microsoft Excel. I think with email and stuff, I am like the queen of subfolders, especially for like receipts and taxes. And, you know, I make a folder at the beginning of every year and then every digital receipt that comes to me, I just move it to the folder without even thinking. And then at the end of the year, suddenly... I have all my receipts in one folder and I don't even think about it. Things like that for sure. I also, can I just say, I don't always feel like I have to answer an email right away. Mm-hmm. Like if I don't answer you for a day, you're fine. It's fine. Unless yeah. unless express it's expressed that it's urgent. 
I think giving myself the love and space to not feel like I have to compulsively answer emails immediately has been a big like tool in helping me be successful. Yeah, for sure. What's your favorite part of your life right now? <laughs> um, it's probably God, only one. I like am loving the dating, I'm loving the sex, I'm loving the flirting. I'm loving like the play of it all. I'm loving my friendships. My friendships, God, my friends shine. Like they are just so wonderful and I feel so thankful. And I love the way I get to like help women and people. I feel honored to do work that can shift things in some capacity that like brings me the most joy. How do you handle your relationship with your phone, social media? What are your boundaries there? (sighs) What boundaries? (laughs) No, I mean, I'm on social media too much. I'm on Instagram too much. If I'm going, if I'm being honest, it becomes complicated because my Instagram as for you as well. My Instagram is a part of my business. And so being on it from nine to five, it doesn't end at nine to five, but it's like being on it constantly means that I'm working on my business. And so it becomes this like line of, you know, I, I've tried to be conscious, like when I'm with people, like I, this year, especially if I'm with friends or I'm with people, I put my phone down. Maybe I'll check it like once or twice. But if I'm, I try to be present in the moment. I try to like put my phone down when I don't need to be on it. But when I'm alone, girl, it's an Instagram party up in this bitch. I know it's bad. I think something that I struggle with with it is that this app is me. It's related to my identity is attached to it, but also my work and mm-hmm. also my bottom line because mm-hmm. yep, advertisers for this mm-hmm. show and sponsorships and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And so, but also it the way we use it in our generation in New York City and dating and life is like kind of a calling card for like, let me see what you're all about. And I'm guilty of doing 100%. that to other people. I so it. there's like, I need, who I need to be posting for is like, the girls who are listening to the podcast. Like that's really all that matters. I'm inviting to my office, essentially, everyone I've ever known. Like there's my high school teacher. There's a guy I have a crush on. There's someone I wish I could interview. There's a mentor. When that article came out, you know? That was rough. When my article came out, that was rough. Like my uncle being like, "Uh, what did I just read? And me being like, oh, cool. I'm going to just go die now. Um, Cool, 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 And it's like you can't like, and I have to think about that too. It's like my mom thinks that like everything I write on the internet is somehow about her. And it like 95% of the time isn't. But like I can't limit myself from like writing whatever I'm going to write because she might think you something definitely can't that's not your cross to bear yeah right and it's but it's complicated yeah i don't know it is complicated i you just you just said it in a way that's so funny and like feels so profound to me it's like you're inviting everyone you've ever known into your office who yeah. the fuck does that that's not that shouldn't be a thing but you're right that's exactly what it is yeah it's really i don't know i don't have the answer to it yeah, I, I just want to linger and keep talking to you so I don't have to go. But I think I do. This has been a delight. Amazing. I love you so much. I, I hope you. I can Thank like. You. Will you text me you. about your date? I want to know what happens. I would be honored. Should I FaceTime you during your date? No, I'm just kidding. I, no, would, I would never. I would enjoy I would that. Never. I would no. enjoy that. You got to focus. You um, have fun. Well, we always end this podcast with a deep breath. So Ooh. are you ready to let it out with me? Yeah. Okay. Oh, wait. I didn't get to ask you about Reiki. Can you quick? Do you practice oh, Reiki? I do practice Reiki. How did you tell me quickly, like a little bit of Reiki? Oh, my God. Reiki is universal healing energy that a practitioner 
becomes attuned to and trained how to use. Anybody can do Reiki. Anybody can learn Reiki once you're attuned from a Reiki master. And um, Reiki, I Reiki myself almost every day. And I Reiki my lovers. And I see people in my home for Reiki. I Reiki people on the street. I Reiki the horses at Central Park. Um, it's that. just like a beautiful, you know, for me, Reiki works in its own ways, but it's a tremendous way to remove emotional blocks from your body and, and release trauma. So it's been a really beautiful tool for me this year, for sure. Mm, I love that. Okay. Now our, let's like send Reiki out when we do this deep breath to everyone listening. Can we do that? Uh, I can do it after. Yes. Okay. To cool. wait to who's everybody. We have to have a target audience. Um, are the listeners? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. I like that. All right. So let's just all take a deep breath, everyone listening, and us together. So inhale and let it out. <sighs> that always feels a little bit better. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. I think Anastasia is really cool and sweet and lovely. And she checked in with me after my date and she's just a good egg. I hope you really liked this conversation. What happened with that date? We went to, oh, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say this. It was great. It was really lovely. It was really a lovely date. And I took her advice and I just decided to be really present and hang out with a nice person. And, you know, now I'm in Australia and <laughs> so far away and traveling and largely, I was going to say largely on my own, but that's not actually true at all. I've been around people and community for most of my time that I've been away. I was in Bali for a month and now I'm in Australia. I'm in Byron Bay and about to go to Sydney. You can maybe hear my the birds and my friend's dogs, which I'm babysitting and hanging out with right now as I'm recording this. So anyway, I love you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be around. I'll be on and off social media. I'll be on my email newsletter the let it out letter if you want to get that i think that's a great way to connect with me there's a facebook group of other listeners and i'm working on a lot of creative projects right now but if you are someone who is brokenhearted or has a little tender heart right now or recently went through a divorce or something tender I made the Soothe Kit and now the Solve Kit, which is the second part of that. And they're both available now to check out in the show notes. So the Soothe Kit is there for you. The Solve Kit is coming so super soon. Let me know how you guys are doing in the Facebook group. Let me know what you want to hear more of. It means so much to me that you're listening to Let It Out, especially all the way to the end right now. I get to tell you guys about a new sponsor of today's episode. It's a meal kit company called Every Plate. I know there are a plethora of meal kits out there, but this one is the most economical of all of them. And what I really love about them, which is very important to me, is that all of their boxes and separators are all 100% recyclable. And think of it this way, it's so economical that one meal with every plate is about the same price as one cup of coffee. Every plate dinners are this cheaper alternative to takeout or delivery for sure, and definitely going out to dinner. And the recipes all come together in about 30 minutes and 
you know, that's definitely faster than going to the grocery store, figuring out what you want to make, Googling recipes for hours. Maybe that's just me because I'm so indecisive. But anyway, it's less time deciding what to cook. And that means more time spent enjoying good food. Every plate has these easy to follow recipe cards with the ingredients that get shipped right to you. But what I did, I got to try it and Amanda got to try it. You can keep these recipe cards and make the ones you really loved again. So you get to choose what comes with you. You can cancel it at any time. Check to make sure your zip code is included to their shipping area, but they're expanding their shipping zones all the time. So it probably is. Again, meal kits are so well known now, but what sets every plate apart is that even at the regular price, every plate is about 58% cheaper than other major meal kits out there, which I think is really cool because when you're staying in, you want to save money, you know, because when you go out to dinner, that's more of an experience and and that, you know, might cost money. But you guys don't even have to pay the regular price because you're a let it out listener. So you can get three weeks of every plate meals for only $2.99 per meal by going to everyplate.com. That's everyplate.com and entering the code let it out three. Again, get three weeks of every plate meals for only $2.99 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code let it out three. That's up to a $72 savings, and that's about 40% off three boxes of meals. Enjoy, get cooking, let me know what you make. I really want to know and see, and feel free to invite me over for dinner. The emoji for this week's episode is the tree. Like the big, beautiful, not the evergreen tree, just like a summer sort of a tree, because I'm looking out the window, looking at a beautiful tree. That's what's happening with that. All right. I love you. I hope you enjoy the Reiki that Anastasia gave all of us. And if you're new here and you liked this episode, check out the archives. We're nearly at 300 episodes of this podcast. I've been doing it since 2013 and even help other people start podcasts now. So if you want to start a podcast, let me know. I can help you. Um, But I'm so happy I did it because it's the greatest thing I've ever done. And I'm really grateful that you're listening. So talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.